Go ahead and pull out your Bibles and something that you can take notes with this morning. It's okay. We, I'm just going to have Emily play keys for me the whole time I'm preaching. I'll make it extra good. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. That's funny. We are finishing up our series this morning that we've been in. This is week five of We the Church. I hope you've been encouraged by it. I hope you've been built up and enjoyed our time these last few weeks. It's been good to be back from sabbatical. Feels like I've already been back for a long time, but it hasn't been that long. Uh, So what we've been doing over these five weeks is digging into our ecclesiology. What is our theology of church? That's what ecclesiology means. What is our theology of church? Because we all have experiences and preferences and backgrounds and beliefs about the church, about what it is, what it should look like, how it should operate, those different things. And our aim together over the last five weeks has been to come together with all of the stuff that we bring and just submit it to the Word of God and and say all of those things have a place, but the first place in our hearts is for what God says about his church. So God, teach us. What, what is the church? Teach us about the church so that we can properly orient and order our own ideas and preferences and practices and all of those sort of things. We want, we want to do that properly underneath the word of God. So we've done four parts already. We are finishing up this morning with part five, the bride. We the church, the bride. Go ahead and stand up for the reading of the Word of God. Revelation 19, got two whole verses for you this morning. Did I get these right? Yes, okay. (laughs) Revelation 19, starting in verse 7. I didn't tell them this. We're going to start in verse 6, because that's where the subheading is, so it just feels right. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Lord, your words are true this morning. Good. Oh, teach us, Holy Spirit. God, I'm asking over these few minutes we have together, open our ears to hear your word. Bring us into surrender and submission to your word and and what you say, to what is true, Lord Jesus. 
We come to humble ourselves under your word this morning. You are our Father in heaven. You see from the beginning to the end and everything in between, and we don't. So we come to hear from you, learn from you, be led by you, be shaped by you, trained, encouraged, rebuked, reproved, built up. Lord, I ask for your grace to speak. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. What do you think, Nick? I ain't trying to be weird. I'm just saying, I feel the Lord. (laughs) Jesus. This series that we've been doing is a series about us as one whole, the church. It's not been about each one of us individually. The series has, uh, is not titled, I, the church, for a reason. We aren't focusing in this, in this series on who each one of us is as a believer, but rather who we are together as the church. Now, that being said, there is and has been truth for each one of us individually regarding everything we've discussed thus far, and I hope you've seen it. It is true that we together are the possession of Christ. Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made, for, made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It's also true that you are the possession of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. It is true that together we are his temple. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That is true, and it's also true that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Again, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. It is true that together we are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And it's also true in that that you are a member, a part of the body of Christ. It is true that together we are his people. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. And it's true that you, you are a priest of God. You are a child of God. You are a bondservant of God, a man of God, a woman of God. Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Something interesting this morning as we finish up our series talking about the bride, something unique about this identity for us is that you're not going to find a verse that says that you are the bride of Christ. Our identity as the bride of Christ is something that God only gives us corporately. He doesn't give it to us individually. You are not the bride of Christ, and I am not, but we are. And we need to make sure that we don't miss that. God is not returning for you to wed himself to you as he completes his sanctification in you, having cleansed you by the washing of water with the word so that he might present you to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that you might be holy and without blemish. God is returning for his church to wed himself eternally to his sanctified bride, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We are the bride. We are the bride. As we dive into this this morning... I want to start by just recognizing that there's a lot of, of different people in the room this morning. So as we get started, I want to rally all of us together as we approach this unique topic of the bride. I want to rally us to one starting point so that we can all at least begin in the same place, even though we all come in from so many different places. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then... Face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What this scripture tells us is that as we look at things in the world, as even as we look at God and look at spiritual things, we, we only see them as in a mirror dimly. We don't, we don't see everything perfectly clear or the whole thing exactly how it is. And scripture uses different metaphors to describe this fact that, that God is using our understanding and our natural world and, and, and the world and the lives that we live. He's using those as a conduit of revelation for us to reveal himself to us. But now we only see it dimly. Another common metaphor is the idea that there are things that we see and understand in God or about God, but they're really only a shadow of the whole thing. Scripture will speak of things being a shadow of what was to come or what, what is to come. A shadow of the whole truth in God and of God. So there are things that we see that are clear for us, but that are still only a picture as a dimly lit mirror or, or in the way that a shadow is a picture of God himself. So for example, God is our father. Amen? Amen. But God is not a father like we are fathers. We are to be fathers growing into the image of God, 
who is and was a father before we are fathers, before we were fathers, and outside of any of us being good or bad fathers. God isn't a good father like a good father is a good father. Good fathers are good fathers like God is a good father. They're just a shadow of the real thing. When the Bible teaches us that we are sons of God, he doesn't mean that we're all boys or that only men are sons of God and co-heirs with Christ and sorry girls. Like, that's not what we're talking about. Being a son, it's a statement of status. It's not a gender statement when, when God teaches us that. We, we're all sons in status because of the son, Jesus Christ. So us, us being children of God, it's just a shadow of the real child of God. Are you tracking with the, with the big picture that I'm saying? Okay, so what's my point? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So marriage, husbands, wives, family, these things are, are real and, and they're important. But, but our understanding and the way that we participate in those things are just as seeing the real thing as in a mirror dimly lit. There's just a shadow of what God is trying to tell us. So God takes marriage between man and woman incredibly seriously. It's incredibly serious and deep and meaningful. And it is meaningful and deep, not because it is its own thing, but because it is a shadow of something even more incredible, even more eternal. We are invited in Scripture to mine out this mystery of Christ and the church by looking in a dimly lit mirror in the instructions that are given to us for our own lives and marriages. So that's kind of what we're going to be shaping this morning's message around. We're coming to Scripture to see what does God teach us about being the bride, but then what does the Bible teach us about marriage and husbands and wives and all of that, not so that we can just learn that for ourselves, but how can we come to this mirror dimly lit and say, Holy Spirit, would you come and give us revelation? And Revelation is sort of that clarifying of what we just see so dimly in the mirror. So there's three things to take from this identity that God gives us as the bride of Christ that I want to discuss this morning. Before I do that, I want to give a shout out to myself for having three points, because that's like pretty good. <laughs> and usually it's not the case. No more of that meta-narrative stuff this morning. We're, we're staying on track today. Okay, the first thing is that if we want to talk about what does it mean that we are his bride, we have to talk about him. So the first question that we need to really discuss this morning is who is God? Number one, who is God? If we want to understand who we are as his bride, we have to know who is God. Isaiah 54 verse 5 says this. For your maker is your husband, and the Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. Amen. If we're going to be his bride, that means he is our husband. 
He is our husband. Who is God? He is our covenant husband. This completes the picture. We've been talking about this several times in these few weeks about this idea of covenant. And this is what it crescendos to. This is where covenant crescendos. And, And this is why our understanding of covenant marriage is impactful because God is a covenant God. And the reason why we covenant ourselves to each other, it's just a shadow of the way that our husband covenants himself to us. He is our husband. His attention is towards us. His his affection is towards us. We, the church, are his priority. As his covenant people, we are his priority. He has promised himself to us. He is our husband. He has covenanted himself. He has promised himself. He has declared himself unto us. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Who is God? Who is God as our husband? What does that mean? Not, 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 I don't want to approach God and say, well, what we know of husbands is this, and so God is that. No, no, we've got to go the other way around. Who is God, and what does that tell us about who he is as our husband? Who is God? He is relentlessly faithful. And we are confident that he is relentlessly faithful to us, not because he's this emotionally desperate, lovesick boyfriend, who's fawning for us to just glance at him and flip our beautiful hair because we're just so cute and bat our eyes at him so that he can grovel at our feet because he just loves us so much. No, no. We are confident in his relentless faithfulness to us because we know that he has immovable integrity. He is relentlessly faithful to us Because he is relentlessly faithful to himself for himself. He has promised himself to us. He has covenanted himself to us. And we, his bride, we are sure of the faithfulness of our husband. We are sure that he is faithful to us, not just because he loves us, but because he respects himself. And he cannot deny himself. He cannot fail his own word. It is impossible for God to lie, and he has promised himself that he will be faithful to you and me. He's not faithful because of us. He's faithful because of him. He is and he always will be faithful. He is and he always will be righteous. He is and he always will be pure. He is and he always will be jealous. He is and he always will be powerful. He is and he will always be good. He is and he will always be steady. He is and he will always be gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. He is and he always will be just. And the reason we are confident 
that this is who he is and he always will be these things for us is because this is who he has always been for himself. He was all of these things eternally before us and he will be all of these things eternally for us. And he cannot deny himself. How do you know that God's not going to change on you? How do you know he's going to stay faithful? How do you know he can, you can trust his word no matter what comes, even when you don't understand? How do you know that that promise that he gave you isn't going to change just because your life changed? Just because your circumstances changed? Just because things changed, it didn't go like you planned, and you don't understand how it could possibly be as you, as, that it's as he planned? How do you know that God isn't going to change on you? You know God's not going to change on you because he didn't change for you. He is who he's always been, and he will always be who he is. He is faithful. This is our husband. Just because we're on the topic, we'll take a little bit of a left turn here, but it's not too big of a left turn. A good man and a good husband is a man who allows God to shine on him so that He might be, for the world, a shadow, a reflection, a mysterious imager of who God is. Our understanding of masculinity is just a shadow of who God is. I'm sure you've heard the question getting batted around these days, what is a woman? The requisite question for addressing that question is, what is a man? And there's no answer to either of those questions until you answer, who is God? And there is no answer to those questions if you can't answer who is God. So who is God? Well, by faith, we understand that God is the creator of everyone and everything. Therefore, everyone and everything is intentionally ordered. Therefore, we can do things like learn about that stuff. We can do things like biology, and we can explore and discover some of God's orders, such as male and female, as real, non-interchangeable, essential realities to the human existence. But who is God doesn't only answer for us, who are we biologically? He also, in himself, answers for us questions of morality, ethics, spirituality, sociology, relationships. Who we are can be wholly found in him. See, the answers to these questions only flow from the answer of who is God himself. It is only when we get to know God that we begin to confidently understand who we are. When we understand who God is as our husband, then we can do things like we can begin to shape the ideal that men are aiming for in being a man and being a husband. And the ideal that a woman is looking for is she looks for a man and looks for a husband. So men, do you want to know how to be a man? Do you want to grow as a man? Do you want, to, do you want an example of a man? Do you want to know how to raise your children in the way they should go? Do you want to know how to lead and love your wife? Come. Come and learn from the best. Let him shine on you with his glorious, marvelous light that others might see him more brightly in the dimly lit mirror of your face and rest in the shade of your life as he overshadows you. 
Number one, who is God? Number two, who, who are we? Who are we? Now that we've begun to know who God is, we can begin to know who we are. Well, if we're his bride, then obviously he's our husband. And if we're his bride and he's our husband, then we're his bride. Right? What does that mean? What does that mean for who we are and who we are to be as the church? Well, what does the Bible teach us about what a good wife is like? And, and how do we mine out the mystery of Christ in his church in that dimly lit mirror? Who are we? We, we, are, we are to be submitted and respectful of him. Like we say all the time, Jesus is the target audience. That's what it means. That's what it means for who we are. We have a target audience, and it's Jesus Christ, the living God. We are, we are submitted to him and respectful of him. Ephesians 5, 23 through 24 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, that's what we do. That's who we are. We submit to Christ. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. A few verses later, verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Who are we? We are the bride of the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He is Lord. He is king of his kingdom and he is high priest in his house. And in love, he has sworn himself to us by his own name. And out of respect for who he is, we submit ourselves to his will, his kingdom, his name, his ways, his power, his throne, his word, his desires, his leadership. That's who we are. 1 Peter 3, 5 says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. The world we're living in is shouting at us. Is shouting at us. Shouting about how we should live. What we should do with our time. What we should be worried about. What we should hope in how we should define our identity, all the things it takes to be content, just shouting, shouting at us, shouting at us as, as individuals, absolutely, but for the purposes of this conversation, I'm saying the world is shouting at, the, at, at us, the church. This is where you should be. This is what you should look like. This is how you should do things. This is what we want when we come over to the house. This is what we want you to look like. This is how we want you to act. This is what we want you to say. This is where we want you to live. But we, the church, are adorned with a beauty and a peace and a security and a joy and a hope in this chaotic world because we put our trust in our husband and submit to him. The church does not answer to the noise. We answer to our husband. The church is not directed by the noise. We are directed by our husband. The church does not follow the noise. We are led 
by our husband. The best way to cut through the noise is to find the one voice you should be listening to. Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Who are we? We, the church, are oriented around living as a good thing unto the Lord. When the Lord finds us, we want him to find a good thing. Proverbs 12.14, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. We, the church, aim to live as and be a crown worthy of the king of kings. Proverbs 21.9, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. We, the church, live peacefully in his house. We don't selfishly fuss with him. or quarrel childishly with each other. Yes. We want to be a temple that he is pleased to dwell in. Yes. You could say, I sure do want God to want to come home. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who is God? Who are we? And third question is, okay, so now what? How do we live? How do we live The old school Francis Schaeffer fans, how then should we live? <laughs> so what do we do now? How do we live our lives? Well, to summarize the whole thing is we, we live betrothed. That's, right. That's how we live. We cannot live loving the world and loving God. We must divorce ourselves from the ways that we are married to the flesh covenanted to the things of this world, building the kingdoms of this world, submitting to the ways of the enemy, and we must live betrothed unto the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10 says, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come. Why? He's relentlessly faithful. He will come, and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we, the church, are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The marriage supper of the Lamb is coming soon. And when it does, every moment of faith, every moment of devotion, Every moment of covenant, every moment of setting yourself aside for him, every moment of committing yourself to him, every moment of being faithful to him in faith that he will be faithful to you will be worth it. And this is essentially what the entire book of Revelation is about, that we picked up on the end of, that he isn't just coming back for me. He is coming back for his bride. He doesn't just love me. He loves his bride. He isn't just working for me. He is working for his bride and for himself. He isn't just sanctifying me. He is sanctifying his bride. And that means that no matter what we face on this earth, individually, personally, and even corporately in our time and day, life or death, victory or defeat, 
Breakthrough or disappointment, persecution or exaltation, blood or glory, gain or loss, profit or poverty. We will keep our eyes on the horizon. We will look to the horizon with the eternal hope and the relentless faithfulness of God and we will not shrink back. Come what may, we will not marry ourselves to this time and to this place. We are betrothed unto him. We are betrothed unto him. As we finish our time together, I want to read you a few of the vows that have been made to us, the bride. What is your betrothed promise to you that you can anchor your life in? Revelation 2, chapter 10 and 11. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquer, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says not to you and to me, to the church. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Lord promises to his church. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. By the outrageous, glorious, and overflowing grace of God, we the church are his possession. We are his temple. We are his body. We are his people. We are his bride. And I urge you, I urge you by that same grace, that same outrageous, glorious, overflowing grace of God, live in a manner worthy of that calling. Live in a manner worthy of being his bride.
Man, you guys can come on up. I forgot to tell you when, so we're basically done here. <laughs> Revelation twenty two seventeen. The Bible closes with this. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. How do we live? We live partnering and filled with the Holy Spirit, crying out to the bridegroom, come. And let the one who hears it say, come. Who who hears our prayer? It is him. We live our lives saying, Lord Jesus, come. And in return, we hear him saying, come. We're saying, God, come. Would you come close to us? And he says, come close to me. We're in this odd situation where we're saying, God, come close. And he's also saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you even to the end of the age. There is this tension that we live in of this prayer. Oh, God, keep me close to you and stay close to me. And also come, come, do not delay. And in the tension, our, 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 our betrothed, he says, come to me. And it's in this this dialogue of the heavens and the earth, the spiritual and the natural, the real thing and the shadow, the perfect picture and the mirror dimly lit, this echoing of come, 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 that the hungry and the thirsty hear, come, come. Come to the table and eat. Come to the waters and drink. As we live as his bride, calling out for his coming. As we live as his bride, hearing his promise to us of his return. Let the nations hear, both us and our husband, calling out to them, come. Come into the house. Come in and be his possession. Come in, be adopted as his child. Come in, become a member of this body. Come in to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Because anybody invited to this will be blessed. Why don't you stand as we close our time together? Our prayer team's gonna come to the front. If you need prayer for anything today, you can come and get it. As we end our time, I want you to just listen to the Holy Spirit. Hear the Lord Jesus, hear the word of the Lord. And just again, surrender yourself to him. Covenant yourself unto the Lord. Separate yourself from this world and live for that one. Lift up your eyes off of this day and look unto that day. Call out to him, Lord Jesus, I just want you to come. And hear him saying, I just want you to come. And Lord, would the nations hear this morning as we enter in to this instruction but our neighbors and our friends and our families and our children hear the echo of heaven and earth come, all who are thirsty. 
Come, all who are hungry, come buy and eat with no money and for no price. Come to the table. Come to the fountain. Come to the supper. In Jesus' name.